OPN Ask an Angel podcasts are conversations with global angel investors and venture capitalists. We explore how to invest, understanding investment strategies, and approaches to due diligence. Join us and learn what it takes to be a startup or what it takes to invest in the next great company. Welcome to Supporters Fund, Ask an Investor. I'm your host, Jeffrey Poffin. And let's please welcome Alan Costello, the Director at Resolve Partners in Ireland, as our investor for today. Welcome, Alan. It's a real pleasure having you join us today. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. Looking forward to the chat. I'm super excited. I think I was telling you about this before because you've been part of lots of raises. Lots of money has been raised all the way along the channels. And it gets exciting when you get to be in front of an investor who's kind of seen it all, been there, done that. Now you're raising your own fund. So it gets pretty exciting to see that journey. So not only from a startup perspective that we get to be part of that journey with a startup, but we're getting to be part of that with an investor who's going through that same journey. So really exciting today. Uh, and the way we like to kind of kick things off is you want to learn a little bit more about yourself. So maybe to start, you could share a little bit about your background. You could go back to the university days. Uh, certainly, you can share a little bit from your Novartis days in the pharmaceutical space, uh, what you did there and kind of work your way up and then uh, share a little bit about what you're doing today. And then we're going to dive into everything. No problem. Uh, thank you for that. Um, so, okay, if we're, if we're going to take it back, uh, I am a, a scientist originally, pharmaceutical science, so that you, you got a, a Novartis connection there in my what I call my first career. Uh, so I did some pharmaceutical R&D uh, in college and in postgraduate. And to give you an example of where my mindset will go, I'm working on uh, some serine protease inhibitors in college, and I went into the professor one day and I said, uh, you know, we're, we're looking at blocking these things. It's something in the Alzheimer's chain. Uh, you know, this is great. He said, yeah, uh, maybe in about 20 years, we'll have a product. And I said, bye, prof. Um, I'm off to join the commercial side of the industry. I'm, I'm using a little bit of uh, language in the rearview mirror, but I, I realize now that I just needed to be much, much closer to the commercial uh, coalface, family background and entrepreneurship uh, and, and all that kind of good stuff. And uh, so I joined the commercial side of the, of the science uh, pharmaceutical industry, uh, commercializing and marketing a bunch of different products uh, for uh, some companies over here in Europe and uh, predominantly Ireland. And that was great. And then I did an MBA and I wanted to get involved in some startups. I wanted to explore uh, building kind of an entrepreneurial career. So I did like all good uh, consultants with an MBA should do. I went out with no plan. Uh, no agenda. I just said, okay, I'm going to go out and knock on doors and I'm going to just explore things. I'm going to find ways to make myself useful. And I kind of, I guess in hindsight, I kind of backed myself to make myself useful to people. So I got involved in, in, a, in a bunch of uh, companies to help them to grow and scale, and including uh, getting involved in some of my own uh, first startups and being a founder in some energy tech companies. So that kind of probably began a transition into the, the second part of my career, which was all around technology investing um, and more so than maybe than life sciences, but a lot of technology investing uh, and supporting companies to grow, scale, raise pre-seed, raise seed, raise A rounds. Uh, up to the, the current day where, yeah, we're, we've got a very heavy focus in the climate technology space and we're building a fund, uh, a fund there. So I essentially, I guess I find myself at that intersection between I can talk science and technology and product and innovation, and I can talk go-to-market, growth, scale, uh, and then the missing piece for a lot of startups is that finance. So I, I just started talking to investors and financers and uh, finding out what made them tick. And now if I can make those three sides of product innovator, go to market and investment finance talk the same language, usually good things happen. Um, and that, that's where I find myself today. That's awesome. And one thing about you that nobody would know, this was the mystery question. So I got to throw that back in there. So what's one thing about you that no one would know? Okay. Uh, well, the cheese on that is that people over here will know it is that uh, one of my hobbies for the last few years, I, I, I kind of go deep on hobbies uh, for three or four or five years at a time. So to my left is a former whiskey cask that's been turned into an office light. And to my right is uh, the beginnings of a whiskey collection, which I'm not going to show on camera because it'll not put me in good credit. But I'm a big fan of uh, Irish whiskeys and, and, and international whiskeys. It's a really interesting market from a business point of view, as well as from an enjoyment and a collecting point of view. That's awesome. That's pretty cool. I was looking at someone the other day. This is neither coffee nor a baby Guinness nor any other uh, comments that you're going to make about uh, uh, about that I'll introduce around alcohol and, and Ireland. Ah, oh, that's wicked. I saw someone the other day that was um, taking old skateboards and making them into furniture, tables and chairs and things like that. So 
So I love the fact that you're being innovative and finding different ways to use old products that make things look cool. And of course, enjoying yourself while doing it. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's a good hobby. You know what? We call it the circular economy now. Uh, upcycling waste and uh, designing out waste uh, and dealing with waste once you're availizing waste into better products. So it's a circular economy. I can tell myself that on Friday night when I'm having a, having, having a whiskey by, by my whiskey light. <laughs> I love it. That's great. Uh, and that's a that's a great passion. So it's good to see that uh, we all got little different things that we can do to keep us busy. So now yeah. taking back to the the kind of the background that you have, it's um, even going back to your pharma days and, and kind of where you started to make that trend into uh, early stage companies. What was the interest level like? What got you triggered and what kind of made you think I kind of like this space because you were operating um, more on the pharma side, which Really, there's probably not a lot of entrepreneurship side there. It's all internal and big, big money and building out uh, businesses within businesses. What had that interest level or what triggered you to start looking at early stage companies? It's a good question. So there's probably two two big uh, chapters uh, that happened. So when I left uh, pharma, as I said, I could uh, I could talk pharma, med device, science, um, and uh, but I had worked in the commercial side of the industry, uh, launching products and moving products into uh, the clinical setting uh, in, in Ireland and a little bit wider field around Europe. And I understood the business principles behind that. And without being unfair, if you're talking to a lot of early stage technologists or scientists or innovators in medtech, they're not necessarily having the bridge to the commercialization skills. So in, in that sector, yeah, you've got a very long regulatory pathway, which you got to deal with, um, and that, that's fair. But I would go in, I always remember talking to one angel investor in the space who was, uh, came out of the diagnostics industry. And he said, you know, I, I could make monoclonal antibodies that can react to the glasses that you're wearing, JP. But if it doesn't change a decision at the bedside, if it doesn't change practice at the clinical side, so what? Uh, just because I can build something from a science point of view doesn't mean it's ever going to get used. So I always had that kind of perspective. So you talk to a lot of uh, scientists in maybe university uh, or research institutes, and they were looking to try and commercialize the technologies, raise half a million or a million. And you knew that they were actually looking at a 20 or 50 million fundraise through the regulatory pathway. And you knew you needed to think about where, you know, where were the payers? Where was the pharmacoeconomics? What, was, uh, what were the insurers going to be doing about this product? What was the market size? Uh, all of these all of these commercial questions um, or maybe investment worthy questions that were coming to the past that was somewhat incidental to the some of the science uh, some of the the most important things that they were working on in the clinical bench uh, I was asking different questions so uh, being able to bridge that experience and being able to uh, challenge that uh, I think was kind of useful and kind of challenging in, in a good way and then you know, one of the big transitions for me was I read an article in a, a business press where a professor in a completely different sector, uh, it was my first foray into, well, sort of my first foray into climate, although we might come back to that. He just published a, a piece around, um, this is probably in the early 2000s, he'd probably he published something about transportation links between China and Europe. You know, it's produced in the East, it's consumed in the West. So he treated it as a logistics problem. He treated it as physics, straight line, ended up de describing a train uh, proposition, cost about $200 billion. Um, and that, that was fine. He just put it out there to the world. And I went up and I, not, <laughs> I look back and I, I kind of think it is one of the advantages um, of na naivety of youth. I knocked on the door of the head of physics in an Irish university and I said, I read this article. I don't know what you're working on, but whatever you're working on next, I'd like to be involved in it. I'd like to see if I can be useful. And uh, he said, okay, cool. Here's this other project that I'm doing in renewable energy. Um, and we worked on that for a couple of years and tried to get that uh, off the ground. It was the, maybe the, probably the first startup really uh, that I was involved in and, uh, and, and being, a, being a founder of. But so kind of really interesting piece around those transitions, talking tech, talking science, talking engineering at a, at a simple level. I'm not going super deep into the silo, but being able to marry that with, okay, where's this going? What's the commercial questions that are happening here? Um, that, that's probably been the, the transition between the first part of my career and, and the, what I now call the main part of my career. Today. I really like that because what you've, you've described a couple of different things here that really kind of emphasize the changeover from corporate to entrepreneurship. And I think the biggest one here is that you are being curious and that you, your curiosity went into actionable steps. I, I think a lot of times there is the doubt or there's the, um, 
being afraid to question or take that leap forward by forcing yourself into an action, which was go and speak to this professor. So what I liked about that is that, um, you know, if I can build it, does it actually make sense? Which is what your, uh, the, the angel investor had originally kind of uh, coached you by saying, which still creates curiosity, which is, can I commercialize this? Can I do something with this? And then going to that professor and, and offering to be useful. And what I love about that is that when um, uh, I was a young, young chap, my uh, father walked me to McDonald's or drove me to McDonald's and said, uh, go in there and apply for a job. Here's your, C your CV. And he said, uh, when you go in, say, I'll ask for the manager and uh, shake his hand, look him in the eye, tell him who you are and tell him that you work for free for two weeks. And I was scared. I was like, what? I'm 14. This guy's not going to hire me. I was 13. It's like, what do I, I don't know anything. Why I got to go to the manager? I can't, I just go to the person at the desk. He's like, be impactful, go do something, show you're useful. So went in and did that. They hired me. And I think taking that same objective from there that I learned is that you need to take those steps and you need to force yourself to go in there and find a way to be useful. So in saying that, when you took your curiosity and you move that into the next steps, I think that's a big learning for entrepreneurs or for people that want to be entrepreneurs which is what got you to take that step? How did you force yourself to just say, hey, you know what? I'm smart enough. I'm tough enough. I can go in and make this leap of faith. Um, you called it being young and, and maybe naive, but I think it's more than that. It was a, a drive to get somewhere and you found it. Maybe that's just a useful term that you used as being useful, but what kind of, what is that position that pushed you to do that? I think there's something more there. Is it grit? Is it drive? Is it you learned it from your parents? What, what made you kind of make that drive forward? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. And, you know, maybe something we'll come back to. I'm just spinning in, in my mind off your question there. There's some kind of a balance between startup and corporate, between curiosity and risk uh, that may, maybe we'll jump back to. But there's probably a slider bar that's kind of interesting to, to pull the thread on. What got me into, into doing this? Um, it's I've always had um, kind of a, a get up and go for doing things. So if I go back, if I'm thinking lately about my, my climate journey and I pretty much think the rest of my career is gonna be in climate technology. And then I think, yeah, so my first startup was involved in renewable energy. Actually, before that, in the Young Scientist competition, when I was 17, uh, we won a prize for a sustainability prize. Actually, before that, when I was 11, I volunteered pro bono. Um, which I'll also come back and pick up your point there on McDonald's. I volunteered at the Ireland's National Ecology Centre to just give walking tours to adults um, around all the renewable energy um, uh, technology that was based in that National Ecology Centre. And then I think, actually, when I was eight, I'm, I, by the, I am a complete nerd. When I was eight, I'm writing pro school projects on the ozone layer. That's what, 1987 stuff? And, and you're just thinking, okay, you, you've always had a little bit of um, uh, chutzpah or get up and go or, or uh, something that drives you on to, to do that. So it probably comes from, uh, you know, if I'm also married to a psychotherapist, so I'm, I'm okay with going deep on this stuff. I've been our longest client for, for 20 odd years. But uh, so the parents are entrepreneurs and had uh, that kind of, there's a story that I, I learned a lot from them, obviously. And there's a story that when they were setting up business, um, events conspired and he, dad had to walk home from a previous job and say to his heavily pregnant wife, yeah, we're starting a bit earlier than expected. Uh, we're, we're going for it. Um, so, you know, three kids, pregnant wife, started a new business um, and you, you get that kind of uh, push for it. So there's uh, there's probably something coming from uh, also being the for myself, then being the youngest, uh, I kind of uh, learned from everyone that went before me and just uh, was given a lot of freedom to go and explore things, which was fantastic. And, you know, somewhat repeatable, but sometimes you, you have to like all entrepreneurship, you need that dose of luck. You need that position, that context uh, that's going to just allow you to knock on the professor's door. I love it. And I'm going to wholeheartedly say that from all the the interviews I've done, a lot of the people that have gone through with entrepreneurial parents have learned to be able to pick things up and go, have been learned to take uh, the punches and still kind of figure out how to roll through them and get to where you need to be because you've experienced it. Um, but just that excitement of we're going for it, pregnant with uh, three kids and you're ready to roll. I, I just think I got goosebumps when you said that because the excitement level of, you know, that's what it, that's what the uh, risk level is, right? And, and you talked about that before, like what's the risk level from corporate to entrepreneurship? And I think when you're guarded, 
Um, I, I look at Canada as being the um, uh, country for hugs. Uh, U.S. It's all about capitalism. It's uh, it's about the punch and figuring out how to keep going. So I'm not sure where Ireland fits in there, but I'm going to assume it fits into the punch and keep going. Um, it it it's mentality. I think it's, so it's you know. Yeah, I think Ireland is is quite entrepreneurial, and we've got a reasonably a pretty good ecosystem here. Um, uh, it, it, you know, US is is ahead of most is ahead of Europe. Um, I, I won't speak too deeply about uh, maybe East Asia. Uh, US is ahead, and uh, there's the things in there about propensity to risk or ability to. Um, there's there's something about frontierism, and, and there's only a couple of generations in North in the US uh, that are predominantly driven uh, as as immigrants. Uh, it's only a couple of generations back that you you go to find your predominant immigrant population. So there's frontiers, there's risk seekers, risk takers, and um, there's also some mundane financial stuff uh, that I can just highlight the difference in in Ireland. Maybe you can comment to Canada. You know, my understanding is in the states, if if something fails, your bankruptcy is you know you you go through the car wash and you're out again in in a year. In Ireland, until recently, that was twelve years. Um, so the ability to take risks that could fail and leave you, um, leave you tied up for you know five grand debt to the credit card company or twenty grand debt to the bank, the, that that was counterproductive to uh, really driving a lot of people forward. Maybe Canada somewhere in the middle. I don't. I'm not exactly sure. Yeah, there is a couple of years, I believe, that it does kind of pigeonhole you, but I'm sure that there's always ways to work through it. Yeah. Um, everybody wants to make sure that they, they do get their dollar base back on, on those types of things. So, But I, I, to your wider point, and without jumping into the bankruptcy, your wider point, there is something important about an ecosystem. You know, if everybody around you is wearing the same beige trousers, the same blue shirt, and goes into the same corporate HQ every day, that's what you're going to do and that's what your kids are going to do if everyone or a disproportionate amount of people around you are saying yeah okay i'm going to go and open a car wash or yeah i'm going to go and try and do this uh, tech startup or yeah i'm going to take my my phd research and i'm going to be the one that spins out uh, if everyone around you is doing that you know a little bit of like context and learning and reduce barriers uh to to attempting the risk uh, is important so that that means you know what's your ecosystem like what's your uh your the people context around you like I love it. And, and it's so true. And, you know, they always say, you know, put people around you that are positive or driven so that you kind of mirror to that. And I do find that as you start to figure out who you are and where you want to be, and even to these podcasts, it's really exploring who you are and where you came from to empower other people to say, hey, you know what, I could be an investor. I know I've got all this 25 years of uh, farm experience. I could certainly go out and help some of these early stage companies move forward. Um, you know, and you kind of put that into that triangle of uh, different pieces from the financing to um, operations and marketing. There's the, you know, what kind of things are you looking for and what makes a scalable company? You're always going to be kind of exploring that. But I think um, taking that understanding of where you came from and it looks like you came from pharma and today, and, and then you moved into um, health tech or sorry, uh, climate tech. And now from there, you kind of circled all the way back through and now you're back to pushing uh, a fund that's going to be supporting and driving this out. And I love the stories from when you were eight years old, 11 years old, you, you literally went back in your history and said, wait, I've got stories from this, this and this. Yeah, man, maybe I'm supposed to be in this climate tech. I've been doing stuff in here for a long time. So it, it kind of, it's interesting how the things that interested us may not have been the journey that we took, but in time, we eventually fold back into it because that passion and interest is really strong in us. And just at a, a curiosity at eight years old, it is the same today. I think that's true. And it is going to be a learning for uh, or something to be aware of for entrepreneurs. But I think for investors, too, um, you got to follow things that you're interested in. you got to follow things that you're passionate about. Um, you, you know, you can technically code things to solve this problem over here. You can do this business process automation tool, sell us this out. And like, yeah, fine. But actually, do you care? Um, you know, what are you mission led? Are you, you know, founder problem um, fit uh, that's in there or founder market fit that's in there? Um, so the, it, there is something about be interested, be curious, be uh, be willing to put uh, to go that extra mile, that extra depth. I think that is probably also true for investors Um investors probably fall into to two hats. They're either former financiers or former founders um, and, and both are relevant. But I, I think it's probably also interesting to think about, well, what are, you, what are you looking at from a sectoral point of view or a stage point of view? What are you passionate about? What are you interested in? Um, it, it's important to follow that kind of true north uh, piece as well. For sure. You mentioned that in 
your curiosity and going and speaking with your your prof um, is that you were reading things and you were diving into interest levels even back then. Um, do you continue to do that today? And does that take you off your focus or does it keep steering you in the direction of your North Star, as you mentioned? Because I think educating yourself and learning more about all of these different pieces that are in the world uh, are a good thing, but I can also be distracting. So is there uh, any recommendations you have on educating yourself in a certain space or vertical or kind of how you see yourself with this? There's... Uh, so you, you have to bear in mind, I did call myself uh, kind of the, the business nerd or a, a nerd for this stuff. And I say that with enjoyment, but uh, for the on-camera bit, um, I'll just flick around uh, to uh, about maybe maybe a quarter of uh, the, the collection that's there. Um, and it's going to go into some general, I read a lot of business biographies. I learn a lot from, uh, from reading about either in the words of or the words about other business leaders. Um, I read increasingly on a sectoral basis. Uh, so people like uh, maybe Speed and Scale from that's John Doerr's one, uh, uh, degree, uh, Factfulness or um, some of the progress books around kind of positive uh, growth in, in the economy and positive technology growth. But there's a wider reading piece there as well. So just maybe another thing that people don't know about me uh, mostly is that one whole section up here is uh, the book club. Uh, which is uh, going about seven years. It's about 80, 90 books deep. Um, and it forces you to, uh, we push each other to pick books that are in different genres and th different things that we would norm wouldn't normally read. So that kind of keeps a little bit of breath going on and exposes you to, to new ideas. Uh, actually in that, I brought Ministry of the Future uh, from Kim Stanley Robinson in, uh, which is a, a futures book about how climate's going to go wrong wrong um and and what might happen about that so that's kind of an interesting tip uh, if if you're into either climate or sci-fi or a good book on mute i've written i've written that down and that's actually one of our questions in the rapid fire questions which is uh, a book that you want to recommend so you get to recommend another one uh, sure. but that's uh, that sounds pretty awesome uh, i'm gonna check that out and kind of on that same subject uh there was a, a couple of things when you talked about um well, there's two things that kind of can touch on here. One is your TED Talk. We're going to get into that in a second because I did really enjoy it. And I wish TED Talks were just a little bit longer because it's almost like you got a little bit more to say, but they don't give you enough time. So uh, we're going to let you kind of fill that extra time with uh, some other thoughts. So I'm going to let that one uh, stir up in the mind for a second. Um, but then on the other side of it is that while you were kind of working through the accelerator to get to where you are today with um, running your climate tech fund and building that up, there's a lot of learnings that you're going through. You've talked to, you've invested in over 100 companies and they've scaled up and they've raised over 300 million. So throughout this journey, you've done a lot of great things in working with early stage companies, investing, started your own company. There's a lot of learnings that you can take from this. Is there a few things that top of mind, maybe three to five things that just pop out that say, you know what, this is how you can really help an entrepreneur from either early onset or at a series A, you know, think about these three things or five things when you're talking to investors. Is it okay? You know, right on the onset, when you're starting a business, get a coach and then kind of take it from there. But I'd love to get a few of these bullets that you think would help. Okay. Um, okay. So there's a, a bunch of things I'll, I'll jump into and, and come back uh, on, on your point there. Uh, so a couple of top tips to begin with. Um, <laughs> this is going out on the public record, right? Uh, I don't care about your product. Um, I don't care about your technology. I will do, um, but not right now. Uh, what I want to care about so much is the problem customer piece. I want to know that as a founder, you're backable, you're investable. If I can see the depth of customer insight you have, that's not insight gained from Gartner or PwC reports. That's insight gained from going out FaceTime, uh, clipboard talking to lots of people if i can hear the problem coming back in the user's words you know not not necessarily you you paraphrasing is a good skill but if i can hear that problem coming back and echoing back and if i can see and intuitively see that that's a problem at scale that's interesting so i will care about your product but you know really with some exceptions if I want to engineer a product, I will. You know, if you can prove to me the market demand is such, you know, if I have to throw a bunch of engineers at it for three months or a year, or if I have to throw a big team of people, if the market need is there, that is fundable, I'll get those engineers to do it. 
Um, that's it's going to sound really flippant. There are, of course, areas that are patentable, that are unique, that are pure science, or you know, on the on the blue bleeding edge, uh, be it quantum or cryptography, whatever it's going to be. Of course, there are exceptions, but broadly speaking, if you want my uh, at top tip, I'm going to care less about your product. Um, I'm going to care way more about the the problem customer bit, and that actually maps forward. Um, I don't really care what technology stack, what chain you've built your, your tool on. If you can show me traction that customers are using it, that tells me so much more about your build, your quality of your build, your scalability. It shows me that there are customers who are willing to pay a price. Uh, I'll, I'll understand that uh, a lot more. Of course, I will look into uh, the product, the technology, the stack, the quality of it, but not right now. I think um, what I'm really quite interested in in founders is those who have insights. Um, and what I mean by that is those who are those who are able to join the dots between uh, maybe mega trends, something happening. Uh, so I understand a piece of technology that allows me to scale something over here. And I can understand completely separately over here, there's a group of users who don't even know that their problem could be solved. Uh, they don't even know that they can't even quantify that problem, but I can join the dots between the two. That's insight. Um, maybe it's also related a little bit to vision, but it's I, I think about it as insight from the founders. And when you have that, you know you've that's a real secret sauce. That's a real USP uh, that a founder is able to discover that, uh, is able to uh, paraphrase that or communicate that. And that can be communicated to customers, to team members, to investors, uh, as the case may be. Um, that's a couple of top tips to begin with. Um, that's a couple of top tips to begin with. And we would have... Uh, we would have seen that. So you mentioned that we, we've invested a lot. Uh, I personally have invested in, in a pretty small number of companies, but we were part of uh, the Ireland's National Technology Accelerator. Um, so that had two remits, uh, which kind of links parts of, of this conversation together. One was to uh, help the startup ecosystem by investing in a Y Combinator type model. Um, and the other was to help commercialize technologies out of the Irish university and research system. So some of that deeper tech piece. And in there, yeah, we, we invested in, in about 330 companies who went on to raise like three or 400 million in VC and exits of currently uh, counting up to about half a billion so far. Um, and so it was a great experience. And it's a lot of that early stage pre-seed accelerator style work that we're now jumping on and, and building on in, in, in the seed fund that we're building for climate tech. I love it. And those are four great points. And, and it's interesting that when you when you get the opportunity, as I have to interview a lot of great uh, investors and coaches that all focus in on helping early stage companies work their way through, everybody has kind of their points that they try to make that they look for. And I love yours because they're not exactly the standard cookie cutter ones that you look for. Um, and I like the fact that you're like, I don't care about your product. And regardless if this is going on, on, um, a video and audio, it's that I care about what you're going to do with this, what problem you're really solving, and what the customers actually think about this. It's great that I think it's innovative, but if I can't find a customer that actually has this problem and it's innovative, you're really just building for yourself and you're solving your own problem. You know, if, if you want the cookie cutter, think outcomes, not features. Um, you know, outcomes are measurable. I can, I can probably put outcomes in units of euros and dollars, time, risk, uh, I can think about outcomes, uh, features. Yeah, okay. I, I'm the first person in Ireland to create a car company that does blue cars with pink, yeah, pink and yellow spots. Who cares? Remove the tactics and uh, look more for the problem and figure out who wants to spend the money to pay for that problem. It, it, it's completely that. Uh, so that then you're getting into, as, as you say, the, the, the tactics of it. You know, it's not pie in the sky. Oh, we're going to solve the world's problems, or we're going to solve climate change, or something like that. Who's going to pay? And um, what is their uh, their budget capacity? What is their? Uh, how much have they spent trying to solve this problem before? Find me this sticking plaster, crappy bootlegged versions of solutions that they've been trying so far. That tells me that they care enough to try and solve it. That's where you're starting to see big problem, big vision, and the insight to uh, from customer discovery and customer research to say, this is this is really worth going after. This is worth early stage risk. And this is where we can tip the balance of, of risk um, and curiosity in our favor. I love that. Um, now, <clears throat> taking that those four points, uh, well, three points that you shared, and there's one that I want to kind of add in to explore, and this is the focus part. 
Is there an element that while you're going through these kind of three pieces on the traction insights and um, the, the main problem in the customer side, is there something that you're pushing on a focus side? Um, I find um, the way I love to describe it is that an entrepreneur's brain is like walking into a football stadium, you know, massive, massive stadium, Emirates Stadium size brain, which means there's a million doors and a million things going on. And in a corporate world, it's like walking into uh, a 12 by 12 office. They really to refine themselves down to a box. And you have as an entrepreneur, you have to really get that entrepreneur to focus themselves to get to eventually that box. As much as they don't want to be there, that's the focus. That's what's going to get long time to get to somewhere. So is there something that you recommend or you think about when looking at this vision, because you're obviously forward thinking of where this company can go and how this is going to work. Is there an element that comes into all of this that's wrapped around focus in the founder? Yes, uh, it's, it's, it's a fair point, um, either to push me on or for me to push others on. Um, maybe that there's sort of two frameworks that I, I think about in terms of focus. Um, I always remember, uh, he'll recognize himself when I, I tell the story, but I won't name him, but as an entrepreneur I've been working with for many years, and uh, he it was ideas mile a minute um, still is. And I remember I was sitting having a glass of wine with him one night and I went to the bathroom. We were chatting about ideas and spinning up uh, ideas. And that was cool. I went to the bathroom. By the time I came back, he'd registered a, a, a URL and had started uh, sketching out the plan on, on a notebook. And I said, we're just chatting. We're just spinning the ball over a glass of wine. Remember, you've got a business over here that you're still trying to run, not this one. Uh, um, so in terms of maybe a couple of frameworks or a couple of ways that I think about that, uh, you know, if founders might quite often say to me, we want to do this and this and this and this and this. And I'll say, yeah, but in what order? So I'm cool with a big picture product map, um, but I'll just put in a timeline to it so that, you know, we're going after this uh, module, this set of features first, this set of features for, uh, after that, this set of features after that. And we all know the plan's going to change. And if it doesn't change, it's, it's probably running into the ground. But it's, it's a way of saying we will be all of these things, but we're not going to do them all at once. Um, an example of that is a company I worked with before. I'll probably reference them maybe a couple of times yet. They they went out with the to customers with a plan on paper, nothing built, um, essentially nothing built. And they said, look, our system is going to be 11 modules wide. Um, and they talked to customers and said, which one would you like us to build first? So it was kind of co-design, co-development with customers. And they all, you know, talked to whatever 10 customers three of them picked module two two of them picked module four and the rest of them picked one each well they focused on module two to begin with because they already had three customers who picked that and um, it's kind of a slightly cutesy way of of doing some customer discovery so I'll, I'll often think about putting a timeline on a, a lot of product features and say yeah you will get to this level but we're just going to stagger it over times then maybe the the more template version of that is in terms of market sizing um, it's the kind of inch wide, mile deep type of analogy uh, that you, you've, you've probably come across before, you've probably heard about before. I, I'd love you, I know that the market might be a uh, billion dollars wide, but if you can show me the market, the subsection of that market that's worth about 50 million, and if you show me that you can win 10% of that, or 15% of that, or 20% of that, well, you, the amount of credibility that you have to win each 50 million slice of that billion market um, is insight uh, that I, I mentioned a few minutes ago. And I, I want someone to say, we know the market is uh, is a mile wide and it's a billion dollars. Here's how we're going to win at this one. I can extrapolate as well as anybody else and as well as they can. And, and almost by not telling me all of the other segments, they're kind of letting me discover it for myself. And, and you know, everyone feels good about that. Um so inch wide, mile inch wide versus uh, versus mile deep. I I like mile deep, and then you you can always walk the next mile. Oh, that's brilliant. I love that because again, you're, you're you're taking that big picture and you're breaking it down, and you're saying, look, you like you said, the the market's massive, but show me you can actually go after this little bit. And what does that little bit to you work? And what's the execution on that? And then yeah. if you can cookie cutter this into a process the next 50, the next 50, the next 50 million, they're going to be easy to take down as long as you figured out how to do that in the first 50 million. 
And I'll, I'll give you another example. The company we've been working with, and we brought them through the accelerator. And in their their final demo day pitch, you know, there was a little bit of uh, marketing sleight of hand going on that that was kind of pretty cute. Um, here's the first sub market. It was a particular uh, code of a sport in a particular geography. Um, you know, we're already fifteen percent of that market. And that market's worth five million uh, euros. And here's the next market that we're going into, and it's worth. 3 million euros and people are looking up at them going like, what the hell? Yes, you can get 15% or you've got revenue, but what's the, what's the deal? And uh, the founder said, but that's not why we're here. Here's the next market. It's worth 450 million. So now if you've built up the credibility that we can get the 15% of this market, we're going to enter this market. This is the prize that we're going for. And everybody in the audience went, ah, okay, I see what you did there. Thanks. Thanks for being cute with that. Let's go. I love it. Good way to coach them into it and uh, get them to understand the direction you're taking. So now taking all this great insight, and the one question that I was uh, really intrigued by was, of course, I have to go back to your, your TED Talk. What um, I thought it was very well done. So it was great to, to watch that. Um, in the TED Talk, that while you were talking about Twitter and where it's going and where social media was going and how we're engaging with social media back in 2017, um, how do you see and how have you witnessed the changes and is, is there anything in your TED Talk that you would alter today to say, you know what, or support um, bigger um, from what you said? And I know this is totally off the cuff, but this is while we're transitioning into the next phase of the talk. But because I'm always curious uh, when something is so well done and so public, publicized that now kind of when you look back at it, is there something you'd say, you know, I change this one thing, but the rest of it was awesome. It's interesting. Okay, so you, you, you've spun me one from left field there, and it, it strikes me. So the, the context of my talk a few years ago was, uh, do you know what? Technology has its problems, but we'll solve them, we'll get better, and technology is a better enabler of good than, uh, than the downsides. And we're looking today, the last five years, I think, um, so what's changed? Social media networks have probably largely got worse they still perform their function of connecting people and building up a network and community of people but they probably got you know uh worse uh for a lot of the issues and you know whether some uh particular social networks are going to get acquired um in, in the coming days actually as as we record this uh, and what what happens those uh and you know you don't have to uh, make an over overtly political stance to say that their the regulation of social networks uh, probably needs to catch up. Um, if, if you look at those in particular, because they they got big and they got a new use case uh, around connecting people um, through technology much much faster than regulators or, or governments were ever able to catch up. Um, and I don't think they're able to self regulate, and I don't think their communities are able to regulate them. Um, so would I change it? Probably not. I'd probably uh, put that nuance in there to say that some segments of it are worse. But is technology a good thing or is it an enabler? Uh, yes. Um, is our self-driving cars going to kill less people and uh, reduce the insurance industry? Um, yes, uh, that's a good thing. Is technology going to, are we on kind of rights curve of uh, learning adoption around solar PV on and offshore wind? And that's going to solve issues for us around fossil fuels, carbon, or even geopolitical issues like we've got with uh, Russian energy, um, uh, Russian gas uh, coming out of the, the Ukraine war at, at the moment. Yes, technology is going to be a better thing for that. Does AI need to be regulated uh, or supported or monitored? Also, yes. So I'm not going to change the premise of my TED Talk. I think technology is a great enabler uh, and can be a great enabler for good. I think regulation hasn't caught up with it. Uh, possibly in Europe, we're catching up a little bit better with it than they are in, this, in the States or, or in the Far East. Um, and that's only because you know regulation perhaps is a little bit more... Uh, a little bit more independent uh, through the EU uh, that we have over here. But perhaps if, if you do get regulation at the EU, the American tech companies are going to have to follow suit and, and we'll see what happens with maybe the Asian um, uh, companies where, you know, ByteDance have a huge presence here in Dublin and we're aware of that. So it's not a simplistic argument, but I'll still stand over. Technology can be and will, is a force for good, particularly then maybe when you look at new technologies that we need in, in renewable technologies or, or climate technology. So to the point that you shared about Melvin and the six laws, I, I think that uh, you can almost stand behind those to say that regulation is still something that's needed. 
and there, there needs to be more government intervention to kind of um, govern, I guess, over some of these texts, especially how they've gotten to where they are today. So um, I think wholeheartedly your, your, your uh, TED talk was awesome and it still is awesome today and it's very relevant so uh I, I think like you said adding in a couple of little benchmarks they still uh they fit there but i think the biggest benchmark of all of it is that that to your point is that there has to be some form of governance somewhere in here because the things have grown so significantly uh that you're losing that control and everything else technology is kind of taking its own direction and maybe the robots will become more human than we ever imagined and maybe that's not a good thing uh if yeah. it's not monitored or regulated I mean, I'm I'm pretty much pro regul pro regulator, uh, if if you like. Now, of course, obviously, you want that to be you don't want that to be unwieldy, but we regulate things. You know, we don't put consumer finance in the hands of uh, anybody. We regulate them through central banks and through regulatory authorities, and we've had some issues with that in Ireland. We don't put uh, devices into the hands of toddlers without it going through a CE mark or without it going through an equivalent in in, in the North America. Um, so we're, we live with regulation. Uh, we don't let we, we have environmental standards. Whether the regulators are resourced enough, whether they're agile enough, whether they're influenced too much, that they're questions. But um, you probably can't argue that the technology industry uh, has grown faster than any regulation has been put in on it. And probably the only one that uh, that that triggers a little bit is antitrust around M&A activity. Uh, you're seeing a bit of that in, in, in the US. Actually, this week, uh, the UK regulators uh, had a had an issue with Meta buying Giphy. Um, so that's probably the only regulation really that's, that's coming through. A little bit, of course, GDPR from the EU. Um, but regulation hasn't caught up with the technology or technologies move faster than regulation will move. That's something that needs to improve. I love it. Agreed. Well, just before we transition out, the I guess the next question is on the on the race that you're currently working on and, and pushing through on this climate side, which I think is amazing. Again, something that's totally needed uh, and something to get behind. Um, where do you kind of see the next five years looking for climate tech? Where where is the interest lie for you? Uh, what types of companies do you want to see? And um, what what kind of uh, how's the fund going to work? Sure. Um, so there's there's a couple of uh, pillars within the thesis. Uh, one is that we need climate technology. We need to both decarbonize um, and then re replace with renewable technologies, electrification, um, change some of the, the food and ag practices, change some of the uh, energy utilization practices. We need to do that uh, for the, the world's sake, uh, 2030 targets and they are our world, our economy, our biodiversity. There's so many downstream effects of, of what's coming to that. So we need to do it. We also think it's a fantastic investment opportunity um, for companies that are operating in that space. So, um, so that's one, one big part of our thesis. Another big part of our thesis is uh, we don't think startups are going to save the world. And let me, let me explain. Um, a startup isn't going to be able to you know, starting now with two people and raising the first, you know, 200K or 500K, we want to have real, real strong impact. So we want to build a support structure around uh, startups and scale-ups to help them get through their seed, their A round uh, much faster and much better, get this real breakout trajectory where they can start having impact. So rather than going, you know, over the, the first year or two to, you know, a million, you know, a couple hundred thousand users, a couple of million in revenue, we want them to really push much harder than that. Of course, you normally do in venture, but this climate piece is giving added incentive to do that. So in the fund, we're building a, an ecosystem of climate advisors, of business scaling advisors, of back office supports. And really importantly, we're building a whole support structure of corporates, uh, those who are either high energy users or maybe they're involved in energy and renewables uh, so that uh, companies can Let's say test is probably a better word than practice on, but that uh, companies in the portfolio can work with these large corporates, test solutions, get uh, some data, get some pilots coming out, showcase what they can do so that when they are, are expanding internationally, they've got early reference customers that they might have been uh, harder to get as a startup just going in and knocking the door, even though I know that we had that part of the conversation earlier on. Also, in some cases with the, with corporates partnering into the fund, uh, you may have an opportunity to, to platform these scale-ups and, and help them to go internationally much faster. So that gives us a better investment return, and that also gives us a better impact 
when we're trying to do things around improving the, the, the climate situation and improving climate technology. So we're building a, a 50 million euro seed stage, seed and A stage fund uh, based in Ireland for technologies that are across uh, I suppose the climate plinth. So we'll look at renewables, uh, we'll look at food and ag, we'll look at energy reduction, we'll look at some mobility um, uh, because we want to have a, a spectrum of companies that are all trying to, to, to drive that on. What I'm probably excited by, uh, or what I'm interested in, is probably convergence of ideas. So we're, the last, what, 10, 20, 30 years, we're really, really good at building solutions in the cloud. We're really, really good at building solutions involving data. We're really good at building solutions uh, around robotics and hardware. But energy hasn't seen a lot of that, or food and ag hasn't seen a lot of that, or uh, mobility is increasingly seeing, seeing that. So I'm interested in seeing uh, founders who have experience and uh, depth of expertise, maybe from building other solutions, maybe enterprise SaaS, and how does that apply into an energy utility? How are you going to help an energy utility transition into renewables or get more renewables onto the grid? So almost, if you think about it, it's almost supply chain. It's it's almost the the... Uh, process optimization you know if you look at renewables in ireland we're doing 36 percent of our energy mix is coming from renewables that's not frontier technology we're not probably going to well never say never i'm probably not going to think about investing in new turbine blades that's for vestas and siemens and sse and ge and Philips to do but i'm really interested in technologies that can help get more of that grid more of that power onto the grid maybe a little bit more predictive around the uh, weather conditions so that we can optimize how much wind is going on the grid versus gas. So I know I've just dived down uh, a silo there, but if you think of it, if I lift that back up, I'm interested in, in things that are going to maybe process optimize across renewables. I'm interested in uh, technologies that are used well in other sectors now coming into um, energy, food, ag, mobility sectors and be able to uh, jump faster and, and leverage that expertise. I love it. Uh, those are some fantastic uh, goals and uh, ideals that you guys are supporting. And, and I think uh, it sounds like it's going to be very uh, uh, beneficial to, uh, to Ireland and uh, uh, surrounding countries. So I, I think it's uh, a great initiative. So we're, we're going to kind of step in a different direction, but um, we're going to talk a little bit more about a case study. And I know that you've chatted to a bunch of companies in our chat here about uh, things that they've done to kind of um, interest you or kind of move their way through the ecosystem and, and change their modeling or get to the right position to sell to their customers. Is there anything that pops into mind? What we're looking for is what it takes to be an entrepreneur. And, you know, sometimes it's the tough, it's grit, it's hard, it's easy, it's a roller coaster ride. Is there any experience that you can share that she or he founder went through or even that you read that you find that might be a, a really useful story for, for someone trying to break into the entrepreneurial scene? Sure. Um... Okay, so I'll talk to um, I'll talk I'll talk to a real example. Uh, I'll probably keep the details high level, uh, but they're they're a company that has a, a lot of resonance for for where we're both sitting um, in, in Canada and and in Ireland and in clean tech. So started working with a company uh, probably five years ago called Elm Environmental here in Ireland, and they were doing um, uh, I suppose business process work for uh, people like the water utilities or the environmental utilities or um, uh, regulators in in the space. They 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 were good. They, they did a good background. You know, good management consultants came out of Accenture, knew what they were doing, knew how to build a team of people. But it was all services, and they started developing out uh, a, a framework that would help water utility companies to uh, manage their data a lot better to be a, almost an operating system for how a water utility works from environmental through to uh, through to the billing uh, on the customers so they always had this balance between okay how do we build um with maybe early conversations with customers but we've got this other stuff and we've got to keep uh, the show on the road and we've got to do a little bit of services and consulting and there was always this kind of um uh, balance while they were building enough traction we then helped them to raise a seed round in Ireland uh, and laterally uh, a seed round from some US uh, and based investors. But in terms of the grit and, and, and getting to the customers, the two founders left Ireland. They moved to Toronto uh, where they've been building their business ever since. I think they, uh, they now employ about 70 people um, and they're servicing the, mostly the North American water utility market. Although I think they were doing some interesting stuff in Australia as well. And they, they you know, a lot of European companies 
uh, and particularly I'd say in Irish, a lot of Irish companies will, you know, will will look at the UK until Brexit happened. We didn't look a lot at Europe. We didn't look a lot at the Far East, but it was pretty natural jump, even though it was five hour time zone and, and a seven hour flight to look uh, west and uh, to think about the US and increasingly Canada. Uh, I was on a, a trade mission to Toronto a number of years ago with a, a smart thermostat company that I've been involved in. And increasingly, uh, Canada is is getting more uh, more recognition from European companies. Uh, so they're now known as clear um, they raised a seed round in the States. Then uh, last October, they closed an A round from Inside Venture for about $16 million. They employ about 70 people now, most, I think most of them in Canada. And, uh, you know, if you look at that grit and determination, it was just a case of uh, we need to go to where our customers are. When the two founders left, there was one child between them. I think there's four children between them now. Um, uh, I, I, I must send this podcast to them for uh, for reference checking. Uh, and they just had to uproot and move to where their customers were. There was tough times uh, within that journey. There was uh, uh, tough times on, on a cash flow basis. There was tough times dealing with customers um, and transitioning from services to product. But that services to product bit is something that we, we probably see uh, a lot of founders over here doing, particularly in the enterprise uh, or enterprise software space, where you're you're delivering something and you productize afterwards or you automate afterwards. Um, you know, we, we focus on the outcomes, like we talked about, and how you build those, uh, how you build the solution to deliver those outcomes. You know, you can do it with um, a bunch of people and, and do it as a service, or you can and you might start that way, uh, and then you might have to build a product afterwards, which are, are different skill sets. Uh, and you've got to, as founders, you've got to be like a swan, you know, sailing on the surface and underneath the surface, you know what's going on uh, with your your team and your people and your customers. Um, so they, they're, they're a fantastic case study. They're, they're, they're going to be a brilliant company. Uh, they're going to be brilliant for the, the Canadian system and they're going to be brilliant for their uh, uh, their customers too. I love it. Great story. And and I love the perseverance and the dedication uh, to uproot your your uh, where you live to go after your customer and go after your business. And it, uh, it makes it even better when it's Canadian that they went to. So it's uh, or Canada that they jumped into. So it's a good mix of uh, Ireland and Canada kicking butt. So I like it. Yeah, we will take that. And, and, and as I say, there's, there's a, there's an increasing number of companies looking at there between, you know, natural resource tech centers, uh, you know, you've got that uh, connection around Toronto and, and, and down, down, down south, uh, where there's like 40 million people living within an hour of each other. So it becomes this uh, major target center for companies to expand into, you know, you'd never encourage a company to launch in the US, you know, you launch in these three city area, you launch in that three city area, you launch in, in that part of Southern California, not that not all of it. But it, it's the same thing, in, it, just as you're scaling, you know, you don't launch in France, you launch in uh, this region of Paris, you launch in this segment, sector of geography, or you launch with this cohort of companies. It, otherwise, it just becomes uh, like that inch, inch deep, mile wide uh, market piece, it just becomes too dilute. So th there's a focus piece there uh, as well. So Canada is getting that uh, nice focus, not, not least uh, maybe with some of the political challenges that are happening a little bit south of you. For sure. And there's a good program with Startup Visa and a few other things that help bring entrepreneurs into the country. So it works out quite well. So now we'll, we're going to transition into the rapid fire questions. Are we ready? We're going to start with the business ones first. Go for it. All right. So as an investor, you choose uh, A or B. Okay. Founder or co-founder? Oh, that's a pain. Are you asking, like, should it be... One or the other. Which one do you like best when you're investing? Oh, it has to be co-founders. Co-founders. Okay. Unicorn or a four-year 10x exit? That's a good question. You know that unicorns don't technically exist, right? Um, <laughs> you know, they're mythical. Uh, they are privately funded, not exactly uh, validated by the external markets. Oh, as an investor, uh, I'll, I'll take a four-year 10x. Okay. Tech or CPG? Uh, tech. NFTs or Web 3.0? Um, I personally, I, I'm kind of interested in NFTs. As an investor, I'll say Web 3. Okay. AI or blockchain? AI. First time founder or second, third time founder? Uh, I mean, from an investor's point of view, you got to say second time founder, second or third time founder. But 
and uh, that that's almost uh, dismissive of first timers, which it shouldn't be. Fair enough. First money in or Series A? Will be first money in. Angel or VC? They're different things. So as an as an investor, um, well, VCs for the deeper check, angels for the sectoral expertise. So if you force me to choose, um, if I'm a startup, I'll choose angels. Okay. Board seat or observer? Observer, but that's a function of uh, the, the quantum of companies that are in the portfolio. Uh, observer with, with the right to step up when you need to. Okay. Safe or convertible note? We're increasingly using and seeing safes in, in Europe, uh, so happy out. Okay, lead or follow? We'll lead. It will lead in the seed rounds, and, and that's what I like doing. Love it. Equity or interest payments? Well, safe and then into safe, safe and then into equity. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're part of it. Okay, favorite part of investing? Uh, the first word that came into my mind, and I'm smiling because it's the first part of our conversation, learning. We're, we're so lucky. We always get to learn from, from founders and from people that are smarter and, and telling us about new things. So learning is pretty cool. I love it. Agreed. A number of companies invested per year. Uh, we'll be doing 10 to, 10 to 15 companies per year. Okay. Two qualities a startup needs in order to stand out to you. Um, they need two qualities. Um, they need really, really strong voice of the customer, insight from the customer. And they need to have an ambitious plan. That's, that's two words. So ambition is kind of growth vision and a plan is they need to know how they're going to get there. So an ambitious plan. And then uh, we did talk a bit about the verticals of focus, but if you want to reiterate a couple of them, that works too. Yeah. So our, our fund is going to be investing in, in predominantly in Ireland at the seed stage. Uh, we like a broad climate pillar, so that's going to come across you know, energy, food, ag, mobility, energy, uh, renewables, and energy reduction. Perfect. All right, we're going to move into the personal side. We're almost there. Book or movie? Book. Uh, Superman or Batman? Batman. Restaurant or picnic? Restaurant. Five minutes with Bezos or Oprah? Sorry, five minutes of Bezos or Oprah? Yeah. Whoa. Oprah's going to be more interesting. Agreed. Mountain or beach? Oh, I do like both. You're going to make me pick one? Uh, beach. Bike or run? I, I run badly, so go for that. Uh, Big Mac or Chicken McNuggets? Um, the lesser of two evils, Big Mac. Trophy or money? Trophy filled with money. No. <laughs> uh... <laughs> Best answer yet. Beer or wine? Wine. Camera or mobile phone? Mobile. Uh, king or rich? Sorry, king or rich? Yes. Uh, that's a deeper question. Uh, well, you know it's a deeper question. King or rich? Uh, does a king get to set taxes? I'll go with that. <laughs> Concert or amusement park? Concert. Fortune cookie or birthday cake? Birthday cake. TED talk or book reading? Uh, is that to, to watch or to view? I'll, I'll, I'll go, that's an interesting one. I'll go TED talk. It's an easier answer. Possibly the right answer is book reading, but I'll go TED talk. TikTok or Instagram? Uh, I'll go TikTok. Facebook or LinkedIn? LinkedIn, unfortunately. No, that's good. Most famous person that pops in your mind? 
you've just been talking about King. You know, we've got we got that going on over next door in England. Uh, so, Jesus, King Charles, how, how, where am I going with that? <laughs> Favorite movie and what character would you play in the movie? Oh, yikes. I should have prepared for these. Uh, favorite movie. Oh, I'll tell you what. I'll, I'll go super niche. Um, there's an Irish film that is possibly getting tipped for foreign language Oscar uh, called On Colleen Kuhn, which translates to The Quiet Girl. Um, there's originally a book, actually, and uh, that book, that film is incredible. Uh, if, if if you get it on any kind of release, um, wherever you're listening to this from. What character? Sorry, is it a character from that film that I have to choose? Or correct? Yep. Yes. Uh, well, it's going to be a bit of a moot one because no one except outside of Ireland is going to have seen it. But there's um, the the uncle-in-law is kind of a a quiet, kindly type. I'll go. With, I have to go with that. Okay, you'll have to send me the link to it. Uh, okay. Favorite yeah. book. Uh, favorite book. Um, this is going to be a time. Oh. First one that comes to mind. Uh, it's it's often one I talk about. Uh, it's The Godfather, uh, the the Mario Puzo. Obviously, people often talk about the films um, and should, but uh, the book is is kind of incredible as well. Um, that one will come to mind. Um, there's probably there's probably an interesting book actually that, to a theme I did earlier called Factfulness. I'm just looking at it over there. I think it's by uh, Hans Rousling, who is a Danish GP who died, and his daughter is taking on his work. And it's it's kind of a like my TED talk. It's kind of saying the world has got to improve, but you know what? We're already doing okay, um, and uh, we we can get better. In the Zoom chat, I've just put in the the name of that film. By the way, uh, yeah. So that book was Factfulness by Hans Rowl- Hans Rowling. I love it. I'm gonna copy that as well. All right, so we're almost there. What's the first brand that pops in your mind? First brand. Um, probably Nike. Okay, favorite sports team. Uh, so English Premiership team called Brighton. Uh, I went to college over there, so that that's about the the affinity I have. I love it. I used to ask if uh, you were uh, an Arsenal fan or um, uh, uh, Liverpool Chelsea. fan. It doesn't even matter, yeah. Chelsea. But uh, no one was an Arsenal fan, so I got I had to remove the question. So I decided that I'd be the only one being an Arsenal fan. I, but then I did find that in Rwanda, they're very heavily into uh, Arsenal. So I'm like, yeah. okay, maybe I can move to move there so that I can be around Arsenal fans. Uh, what What is the meaning of success to you? Um, achieving the goals. And last question: What is your superpower? I'm gonna I'm gonna say something like communicating or communicating complexity, which by the way like usually involves usually involves me oversimplifying things. Um like if you need to build a product, you know, you'll just throw some engineers at it. Uh but I'll I'll probably say something like communicating complexity. I like that. I, I think from our discussions that we've had, I would say that you're also very good at forward vision. So you're you're looking forward on what you're building, but you're at least understanding the marketplace, the space, and then where that's got to go. So being a visionary certainly helps when you're working with early stage companies. So tying that in with your superpower, I think it's uh, pretty amazing and it'll work out quite nicely when you're building out your, uh, your fund. Sure, well, hopefully so. I love it. Well, Alan, I want to say thank you very much for all your time. I literally took so many notes. The piece of paper has no more room on it. So I'm not even sure I'm not going to be able to read that when I go into uh, my last dialogue part, but uh, fantastic. So much great information. Uh, I want to, again, take the time to appreciate all that you shared. Uh, Again, thank you for all the stories and um, including us uh, with uh, all of this great insight. And the way we like to kind of end our show is they want to give you the last word. So anything that you want to share to the founders, to investors, I turn it over to you, but again, I want to thank you for all your time and, and sharing with us today. As a th- thank you for the opportunity. It's uh, an enjoyable chat, even when you're throwing me some some uh, left wing curveballs. Maybe the one thing I'll say is that uh, in the, in our climate world, uh, climate tech uh, fund uh, related to the climate tech fund, related to the work that we do with corporates and scale ups, we're running a, an accelerator program called AccelerateGreen.ie, um, and people can come and check that out. Whether you're a corporate, whether you're a scale up. 
Uh, you can see some of the work that we've been doing with uh, an Irish energy company uh, or an Irish climate solutions company. So accelerategreen.ie, and from that, you'll find loads of links to us anyway. Perfect. And if anybody wants to reach out via LinkedIn or email, they yeah. Happy out. LinkedIn or Carrier. Do that, no problem. No problem. I love it. Alan, thank you very much again for all of your time. And uh, we look forward to staying in touch in the future. Thanks very much, JP. Appreciate it. Okay, that was a great conversation with Alan. And um, what I loved about kind of all the great insights he shared was that I don't care about your product. What I do care about is your customer defining the problem and your customer traction. I thought that was a really good way of kind of sharing that. Um, and then what are your customers willing to pay? Have you gone through and done the testing to make sure that your customers want to pay? And then insights, uh, joining the dots, putting this whole picture together. I think that also really defines how this uh, startup world works and how you need to operate with inside of it when you're looking for funding. And then, of course, to, to round it all out is that focus. So I think focus is kind of number one uh, when it comes to understanding your business, your product, and where you're going with it. And to his point, it, it really kind of um, drives what that outcome is going to be. And, and focus is built into your insights. It's built into traction. It's, it, it is defining your problem and going forward and, and helping all those through it. He shared some great stories around uh, founders and, and how they do need to focus a bit more. So I loved it. Uh, it really came down to it. Don't care about your product. It really matters what your customers think, how many people have tested your product, how many have really driven into what you're doing and you're solving the problem and you're showing that. Um, taking the big picture, breaking it down. Uh, he used the reference of um, an inch or a mile deep. And, and again, how you look at that and how you kind of build your company is going to make a real big difference. Uh, I think in the climate side, they're doing some uh, great things. They're raising some some big dollars and they're going to make a big difference in Ireland. And I think that's uh, really awesome. And hopefully uh, that will cascade into other countries as well. Um, but overall, it was a great discussion and uh, super glad that uh, we had that opportunity to chat. So thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed this conversation, please feel free to share with your friends or subscribe to our YouTube channel. Follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and or Stitcher. Feel free to share an audio or video clip around our show, and we may include it into one of our future podcasts. Uh, you can find us at marketing at openpeoplenetwork.com. Your support and comments are truly appreciated. You can also check us out at supportersfund.com or for startup events, visit openpeoplenetwork.com. Thank you and have a fantastic day.